15. And it can be found on page 1111 of the NIV Bibles. Paul and his companions travel throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of the household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to pray for Jenny, but I'm also going to pray for the young people as they leave, because I forgot that. Uh, Dear Lord, we thank you for the young people that we have and their people and their teachers, that's a weird word to use, that have prepared um, the session for them, and I pray that your spirit will be among them. Amen. We pray for Jenny, as she's going to bring God's word to us. May we have ears to hear. Amen. Where's Aidan? How do I get it to stop? Always have a problem with the, the visual aids. <laughs> Good thing I've got a husband. So he couldn't even go home after the first service because I need him. <laughs> I've got it right on here, but not up there. Is it coming up? Oh. Yeah. That's the subject I've been given. We sat down and began to speak. So we're thinking today about the power of words, the effects they have on on what we say, what others say to us. Let's just start with a prayer. Father, help us to hear the words you are speaking to us individually and to respond. Amen. An interesting fact I learned the other day At the beginning of the century, a Japanese scientist with a name I can't uh, pronounce did some experiments with water. In one, he focused his microscope on water crystals taken from a big city's water dam. The water was impure and the crystals were formless and ugly. There they are, formless and ugly. The same water was then carried to a monk so he could say a prayer and bless it. The crystals of that same water then acquired a beautiful shape. Look at the difference. 
And it was said, what influenced the water? It wasn't the word itself, the phonetic sound, you know, like with plants, you talk to them and it's supposed to encourage growth. But it said that it was what the monk had actually put into it, the meaning of the words. Whether that's been proved or not, I somehow doubt. But this scientist has written books about it and he's done lots of experiments. And he says that if you bless something, even something like water, it has a good effect on it. I say, whether that's true or not, I wouldn't know. But I do know that words affect us. If we hear good, encouraging words, we feel better. We're set free. If we have words that put us down, we feel bad and can even get into bondage over it. And it can last a lifetime, something somebody has said to us. We're going to think about the effect of words as we look at the two main characters in this passage of the Bible. And also, I'll bring some examples from my own life. So the two characters are Paul and Lydia. At this time, Paul seemed to be on a mission going nowhere. Twice, the Holy Spirit had shut the door to where he thought God wanted him to go. Now, at last, he's had a vision to go to Philippi, and he's got there. And on the Sabbath, he goes to the river. There's no synagogue there, obviously not enough Jewish men to start a synagogue. So he went to the river where he believed there'd be a place of prayer. And there was. And it seems they were all women. And so this is where he meets Lydia. A seller of purple. Lydia was a rich, successful confident woman and this seller of purple means a lot because the dye at that time for making cloth purple came from shellfish a few little drops juice from each shellfish and it took thousands to produce a yard or two of material it was an indicator of wealth and if you were anybody at that time in this roman empire you wore purple the more purple the more important you were and Lydia sold this material to the rich and powerful. She was a very confident woman. She got her life all together. But she was also a worshipper of God. She was open to the one true God. She didn't become a Jew. She didn't go into Judaism altogether. She remained in a group of Gentiles, but worshipping the one true God. So these two people are brought together by God, Paul and Lydia. Because unknown to them, God had chosen Lydia to be the key person in the first church planted in Europe. And we see her later on in this chapter, the way that God uses her and her home. So now we get to the key verse. Paul sat down and began to speak. We've no idea what he said. We're not told what he said. But as a result, Lydia's heart responded to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And she was completely changed. Even in all her finery, she was ready to plunge into the river to be baptized with the rest of her household. She wanted her life to change. It had really done something for her. It had made a difference. And the men she'd just met, she invited back to her home. Her heart had been touched and her life changed. What did Paul say 
that caused that great change. Put that to one side for a moment, and I want to share my own testimony. I was the black sheep of the family. I'm sure you can all tell that. As my father said, I was the worst child in the neighbourhood. I must have driven my parents mad when I look back at what I was like. When I was 12, all the Sunday schools in Bedford went together for a great big rally. And the speaker said something which changed me forever. Years later, wonderfully, before my father died, he said, she's turned out the best of the lot. And I knew why. It was what was said at that meeting. Put that to one side. Now the third one, Oliver, one of my grandchildren. He too was a naughty child. Where I was only naughty at home, good as gold outside, he was naughty all the time, everywhere. He stood down his headmaster once in an assembly in front of everybody. And he was always being sent to his room. He was always in trouble. And I loved him to bits, probably because I've been naughty. He was a naughty child. And when he was about 11, David and I took him to hear Doug Hawley. I don't know if you've heard of Doug Hawley. A wonderful children's speaker. And Oliver changed completely because of what he heard. So what was said that changed Lydia's life? What was said that changed mine? What was said that changed Oliver's? Was it the same thing in each case? Well, I actually don't think it was, and I'll share why. For me, the thing I wanted more than anything else was love, to know I was loved, to know I was wanted. I grew up thinking I was adopted. I don't know why, because my parents, looking back, were wonderful, but I thought I was adopted. I wasn't wanted, and the only way I got their attention was by being naughty. But I longed to be loved, And the words I heard were, Jesus loves you. He loved you enough to die for you. He wants to come and live in your heart. And, oh, I was so overwhelmed. I was sitting with my best friend, and they said, anyone that wants Jesus into their lives, put their hand up. And mine shut up. And she looked at me as if I was mad. But I knew what I was doing. I was coming into that wonderful love. But was it the same for Ollie, who was also naughty, No, it wasn't. Ollie didn't want to know that he was loved. What he wanted was a clean heart. Unknown to all of us, he longed to be clean inside. He didn't want to be naughty. And he heard that Jesus could come and live in him and make him clean. That was the message that came across. He could be clean. He could change. And he straightway went forward to give his life to Jesus. But what about Lydia? I don't think she needed to know that she was loved. I don't think she needed to know that she's got a clean heart. I should imagine she she was a very good living person and a worshipper of God. So what do you think she heard? Well, I wonder if what she heard was that this God that she worshipped afar off had actually come down in Jesus. And she would have heard of Jesus. Come down in Jesus, Emmanuel. And that he could live with her. She could know him intimately. And I think that's what probably changed Lydia's life. 
Now, all those are part of the same gospel. You can't sort of take bits of the gospel and say, I like that bit, I don't want that bit. It all applies to all of us. But I have found that we respond to the parts that meet our need at the time. Later on, we come into all the other things, because it was some years later that I realized that I had sin in my heart, and I realized the, how wonderful Jesus was that he forgave that sin. That came later. We respond according to the need of the moment, and that's what happened to Lydia, to me, and to Oliver. So I want to look at the different aspects of the gospel, the needs that Jesus meets, and to see the different things that are drawn to him because of those needs. And the first one I've mentioned is guilt. And I want to give three examples of, of people that I've met during my life. The first one was when we were in Carlisle and David was a curate. And somebody brought a young girl around. It was a mutual friend, brought her around. We'd never met her before, didn't know her. And I hate to say this, but she looked ugly and years older than she really was. She was only a young girl, but she looked haggard and terrible, and she was in tears. And she shared that she'd been raped some years before, and she felt somehow it was her fault, and she felt dirty, unclean, guilty. We shared with her what Jesus had done on the cross and what he wanted to do for her. And she believed it, and she changed. And we still talk about it today because it was so dramatic that she came in looking all haggard and old. She went out radiant. She looked beautiful. And so we still talk about it. It was so amazing. I've never seen such a transformation. Jesus did that for her. Another instance was a friend that had a really good marriage a really good marriage, lovely partnership, lovely relationship. But she came to me one day and she confessed that years before she'd been unfaithful and she couldn't get rid of the guilt. She was still carrying it and she didn't know what to do about it. And I just talked with her, prayed with her, and she believed that Jesus had forgiven her and made her clean. And she went away changed. The third one when we were living in Bootle, one of the young mums came to me and she said, can you come and talk to a friend of mine? So I went round and this friend was in floods of tears and she'd had her baby aborted. She'd chosen an abortion because it wasn't convenient and she couldn't get her life together again. She knew what she'd done was wrong and she didn't know what she could do about it. How could she change that? And she just cried and cried. And as she shared, I actually saw in my mind the sin that had been committed. And it, I do believe it is a sin. I saw it actually on the cross. And I said to her, Jesus died for that very sin, not just for the sins of the world. He died for your sin, for that sin. It was nailed to the cross. And she accepted it. She believed it. And, and moved on. So we may be drawn to Jesus and to the gospel through guilt. And guilt's a good thing if we then acknowledge it and we're sorry and we move on. And these three cases, they were. They wanted to be free to move on. And so that may draw us to Jesus. And if there's anyone here carrying anything at all from the past, then talk to one of us afterwards. Jesus wants to bring you into forgiveness and wholeness.
The second one is a sense of worthlessness, of being useless. I used to be a doctor's receptionist, and one of the doctors in the practice had an awful expression. I'm sure you will have heard it. He used to say some patients were a waste of space. And I always thought, that's awful to think you're taking in all of the Earth's resources and giving nothing back. How awful to be considered a waste of space. It, it was interesting because when I moved to Wigan, I'd been so busy in, in uh, Bootle. I'd had all sorts of things that God wanted me to do. Then we moved to Wigan in the summer when everything closed down and I wasn't doing anything at all except gardening. That's all I did all through the summer. And I felt useless, really useless. And do you know what God said to me over and over again? It's who you are in Christ that counts, not what you do. And he kept telling me that. And I really believe that. We compare ourselves with others. Oh, that person's used more than I am. That person brings blessing to others, but I'm doing nothing. And we compare ourselves. God doesn't do that. If we belong to him, then we are valuable. We're his treasured possession. Not because of what we do, because of what we are. We were created exclusively by God and to give pleasure to God. Because of that, we are valuable. I love the verse in Zephaniah that says, he rejoices over you with shouts of joy, or some versions say loud singing. And I believe he looks on us and he doesn't see what we're doing. He says, oh, that's my son, that's my daughter. I delight in you. Do you hear him saying that to you? Because I believe he says it to every single one of us. Everyone is precious. He delights in us all, no matter what. Another need that he meets is deep sadness. Now, even after we come to know God and know the forgiveness through Jesus, we still sometimes go through times of deep sadness. There's a lovely verse in Isaiah 53 where he, it says, he didn't only bear our sins, he bore our sorrows. And that doesn't mean that we'd go through, everything would be wonderful and never go through difficulties. Although some evangelists make it sound like that, come to Jesus and everything will be wonderful. Well, I haven't found it that way. I don't know about you. There are still times of sorrow. There are still difficulties. There are still dark valleys. But Jesus bore our sorrows. And what that means is that he feels our pain and he wants to walk through the dark places with us. He wants to help bear it with us. We need to hear what he's saying to us, to receive it and to let it change the way we feel. Again, when I was in Bootle, we used to sing lots of choruses. And one of the ones we sang quite a lot was the Rose of Sharon. Anyone know that? Any of the older ones know the Rose of Sharon? And one of the, the lions said, you give the water that refreshes me in every part. And I remember once carrying a deep sorrow. I can't even remember what it was about now, but I felt the pain physically. And we sang that. And in my mind and in my imagination, I drank in that water. I felt it going right deep, deep down, and it made a difference. I felt so different afterwards. The situation was the same, but he was there refreshing me. 
He bore our sorrows and he wants to do that day by day for us. The next one is the fear of death. And I personally have never been through this, but some people are really screwed up inside because of that fear of dying. There was one lady called Doris in Boodle, and she was a key member of the church, a lovely Christian, and she was afraid of dying. And she went into hospital, and she almost died, and then she came back again. And she shared with us that when she almost died, she got that glimpse of Jesus, and it was wonderful, and she didn't want to come back. She, the day she was saying, oh, why did I come back? Why did I come? Because it was so wonderful. And what he shows us now is that death is the gateway to life. It's the gateway to seeing more of him. It's something that's good. And it took away Doris's fear of death. And then I think of, of David's mum, my mother-in-law. She was dying in hospital some years ago. She was a keen Christian. And every now and again, we'd see her put her arms up and her face would light up and then she'd go, oh. And I think she was getting glimpsed. She was ready, ready to go. And then, oh, the disappointment. And then after a little while, she did go. And we mourned because we lost her, but we knew she was where she wanted to be. Death perhaps isn't something we say, oh, yes, yes, I'm looking forward to it. But it is the gateway to life and to something far, far better. We shouldn't be afraid of it. And then the last one I want to mention is being bound by the past. Sometimes, because of something that's happened in our childhood and earlier years, we're bound by it. The devil has set up strongholds in our minds and we can't get over it. And it affects the way we feel about ourselves, the way we behave, everything. I firmly believe that on the cross, that was dealt with. That the power Satan can hold over us was crushed, finished. He has no right, he has no authority to affect us using those things from the past. Now, I don't want to be simplistic, and some things are so deep in us that it doesn't just happen instantly. We're not just, we don't just sort of see it and, oh, we straight away come into newness of life. It may take a while. But to believe that Jesus did that on the cross, to believe Satan's defeated, sets our feet on the pathway to healing and deliverance. Let's believe what he says, not what the enemy says, because that's a lie. Jesus can bring us into wholeness. He can heal all those hurts of the past. The wonderful thing is once that we don't have to wait till we've got it all together before we start to give out to others. If we're open to receive and for him to meet our needs, then we can go on and give to others. In John chapter 7, Jesus says, If anyone's thirst, come to me and drink. Out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So we may still be needy. We're still receiving. But as we're receiving, so we can give out to others. We can be channels of his love to others. So we need to receive his amazing grace and ask him to make us channels of that grace to others. What Jesus has done can be summed up in one of my favorite hymns. I'll just read one verse because it's quite a long hymn. 
and I'm sure some of you will recognize it. Wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall its praise begin? Taking away my burden, setting my spirit free, for the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. And I want to ask today, have you experienced that amazing, wonderful grace? Have you opened your heart to receive the gift of salvation, to know sins forgiven, a place in heaven, friendship with Jesus? Have you received? Have you come into that? If you haven't, please do it today. Have a word with one of us. But for those who have responded and now walk with him day by day, what is he saying to you? See, there are now worked at seven billion people on this earth and God speaks to us as if we're the only one. He gives us his undivided attention. He deals with us as individuals. So what's he saying to your heart today? What is your need? What need does he want to meet? We'll have a moment of quiet as we just respond to that. Let him speak to us. Ask him to speak. Speak to me, Lord. What is it you're saying? What do you want to do in my heart, in my life? And after a moment or two, I'll close with a personal prayer that we can then make our own. So let's just have a moment or two of quiet. Lord Jesus, I am overwhelmed by your love for me. Thank you that you want to meet every need of my heart. Help me to keep listening to you and living in your love every day of my life. Amen. <laughs>